Tonight, I want us to look at the greatness of his name. And as we think about what we started looking at yesterday, we started looking at the idea of the, the really the foundation that God is the subject of the Bible and that we, he made us in his image for his purposes, for his glory and, and all of those truths. So tonight, I kind of want to ask the question, well, what, what's the motivation so as we're, as we're looking at this idea of missions and evangelism, why do we even go? What's the motivation? And then tomorrow night we're going to look at, at a, 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 so last night we, or yesterday we looked at uh, God as a missionary, and tomorrow night we're going to look at, at, at being a missionary people. But tonight I wanted to do something a little bit different, and I wanted to kind of answer that question, why do we go? What's our motivation? What should be our motivation to go and to do missions? And that's what we're going to kind of consider tonight. Why? In the first place, was our God a missionary God? I mean, why would he hold off his perfect judgment and justice and wrath to come down and to save us? I mean, that's a question for the ages. We'll, we may never be able to understand that, but a, a simple answer would be for his glory. For his glory is why he does these things. Now, I can tell you guys, you already know this, your pastor is a good, godly man who loves you. He really does. He loves you and he wants the best for you and he's working in his whole life to bring that uh, about with everything that he does. But if he came in here and was starting to really just toot his own horn and, and really tell you guys how good he was and how smart he was and all of these things, and I know he would never do that. It would be a kazoo. Really good at the kazoo? <laughs> it would be a kazoo. Ah, okay. <laughs> just get that. Let's just put that out there right now. Um, <laughs> I think if you started doing that, you would be quickly reminded from everybody in the congregation, which is right. I was going to say the elders would need to take him aside and say, look, something's out of whack. But I think you guys would let him know. Same thing with me. If I were to come in here and put a picture of myself up there on the wall and, and start talking about being in Ireland and how smart I am and all these kinds of things last night, uh, or yesterday, I keep saying last night, um, there would be a problem, right? We would call it pride. We would call it boastfulness. We would call it arrogance. Uh, we would recognize immediately that it's a sin, correct? So that's the standard that we're held to. Have you ever thought about why is God not held to that same standard? Because all throughout the scripture, he speaks of his own glory. Everything is to be done according to his glory, it is only right that nothing is held above him. He is first and foremost because he is the standard. I mean, by definition, he's God. So there is no other thing, there is no other being, there is no other existence that is worthy of glory as God is. He is worthy of all glory and he is worthy of all of our attention. So it's only right, it's only fitting that he, being God, would be work to bring glory to himself and it's also the counterpoint to that would be it's it's it would be sin to withhold giving God glory now that reaches deep into all of our lives because you think about walking through your daily activities if you've ever withheld giving God the glory that he deserves then you've sinned you've done wrong if you've ever given glory that belongs to God to someone else or something else you've sinned you've done wrong we recognize, we know, we, we sin every day. We, we make this mistake and we get focused on our own selves every day. So 
That, that counterpoint is also right as well. Everything needs to be done unto his glory. And it's only right that God would bring glory to himself. He can't sin, so he must bring glory to himself. He must do things that would rightly bring glory to him. And uh, as I was thinking about these things and thinking about God himself and why he would even make us, and I, and I mentioned it yesterday, because being holy, magnifying himself, knowing that he must give glory, he would make us only for the fact that our existence, just our existence, and then by necessity our redemption is determined by God to be the greatest way that he can display his glory. Uh, this, I know this is very cerebral and this is getting way beyond our our finite minds. It's just something to ponder and think about sometime. God didn't have to make us, but he did. And he made us to bring glory to him. And we, we talked about that yesterday, about, well, why, you know, why do we exist? We exist for his glory. So the question I want to ask tonight is, well, why do we do missions then? Why do we set out on missions? And I believe it's for the greatness of his name that the world may know. So we're going to look at... Uh, lot of scripture tonight and I want to start off with Romans chapter 1 verses 5 through 6. Now I encourage you to use your, your your Bible. We are going to look at a whole lot of scripture tonight so it might be too fast for you to turn to every single one of them um, when we get down to that section uh, but we'll start off in Romans chapter 1 verse 5 through 6 just kind of identifying that we we, were, we exist for the greatness of his name. So Paul writes in Romans 1, 5 through 6, Though through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So God is about the greatness of his name. One of the best missions books that I've been able to read was by John Piper, and it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. Has anybody in here ever read that before? If you're ever wondering about missions and you want to read a good concept or idea to get your head wrapped around missions, I would suggest reading that book. Uh, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Some of his stuff is very... um, it's very hard to think through sometimes and read through, but he really sets a great picture of, of what it means to do missions and to be on missions for God. So I wanted to read this quote, and it's kind of a long quote, but it really just captures the whole book. And maybe if you hear this, you won't even have to read the book. You can just think about these things. So let me read this one to you tonight. I like that screen up there. I can see that. So John Piper said, uh, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. I'm going to pause when I read some of these things because I want you to let that marinate for a second. Because sometimes that kind of strikes in contrast to what we've been thinking all these years or what we've been told all these years. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. You think about the creation purpose we talked about yesterday. We were made to worship God, to reflect back his glory, which is a part of our worship, right? 
So because we rebelled against God and we chose to reject that creation purpose and go our own way, we've failed to worship him. So missions now exist. The missionary God is the first one who stepped in, as we looked at yesterday, right there in Genesis 3, to pursue us for salvation. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, Revelation 7, 9, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. Worship is where missions begin and end. And then Piper goes on to say, I I don't want to... the diminishing of missions. He's not trying to say we shouldn't be involved in missions, but he wants the magnifying of God. And that starts to get at the the point, the answer to our question, why do we do missions? Because of the greatness of his name. So he doesn't want the diminishing of missions, but the magnifying of God. When the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth, the light of missions will shine to the darkest people on earth. When the passion, and I want you to listen to this one, when the passion, when passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Why don't you read that one with me? Let's read that together. When passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? If we are worshiping God, we are going to be telling others about him, right? Because he is a worthy God worthy of our testimony, worthy of our witness. All human history is moving toward one great goal, the worship of God and his son among all the peoples of the earth. Missions is not that goal. It is the means to that goal. So God is glorified when Jesus is glorified as the sole focus of our saving faith. Because in the end, at the very end, when, like what he said, think about when all the countless millions of redeemed have bowed their faces before the Lord and they're worshiping him. And we, we were talking about Revelation 5 today when Jesus is held up in the center of the throne, the lamb that was slain, and all of creation in the concentric circles begin to worship Jesus. All of those things taking place and he's held up. He becomes the actual lamp, the light of the new Jerusalem, right? Revelation 21, 23 And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So all of the focus on God, all of the the focus on Christ, that He is glorified, that we're worshiping Him, that is our motivation for missions. Now, I said briefly yesterday, and I kind of just mentioned it in passing, but I I feel like modern missions has been dominated by a man-centric kind of, of motivation, In other words, we've been motivated by man thinking that the Bible was written about man, that man is the subject, the whole central focus of everything that God is doing and and all of these things. And that uh, when we get that way, when we get man-centric, we tend to water down the gospel. And we tend to change evangelism and missions to something that it really shouldn't be. Because when we really are starting to focus on man and it's all about man, 
then our desire is just to get as many men as we can. And, and don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't be witnessing to as many people and proclaiming the name of Christ as we can. But then our focus just becomes on those numbers and that idea of building up a whole lot of numbers and, 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 and that we're accomplishing things through that. So if that becomes the goal, if that becomes the idea to convert people, then we start to change our methods to whatever is necessary in order to convert somebody. So we'll go and we'll change the whole way that we do church in order to get more and more people in there, as many as we can, and we begin to change the message to something that's not quite as offensive. Right? Doesn't the Bible speak about that in the end times? And people become more comfortable with the message that we're saying, so we think, well, that's going to gain more people to come to our side. And we'll, in effect, we'll win more converts. And I think that's one of the major mistakes with modern missions that we've done is we've put so much of a focus on man and winning as many men and changing the message and changing everything we can to fit and center around man that we've forgotten about the whole fact that the mission is God's mission and it's all about him. And the moment our passion for God begins to dry up, so will our zeal for missions. So as we look at the idea of what is our motivation? What, what should drive us? What should cause us to be going to the ends of the earth and carrying the gospel? What should cause us to so desire that our neighbor comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? It starts with the greatness of his name. It starts with the fact that God desires that his name be held higher than anything else. Have you ever considered the greatness of God's name? We don't often talk about that or think about that I think I don't think we think about it enough the greatness of his name over all creation I want you to look at Genesis chapter 11 and we're going to look at verses we're going to just look at verse 4 Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 so I tell you my goal is to get to Revelation by Wednesday and we're just now in Genesis 11. We've got a lot of scripture to cover tonight, right? Genesis chapter, four, or chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, and just to give you a little background context, this is the Tower of Babel, all right? They've settled on the plain and they've come together and they're saying to themselves in verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And listen to this part. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now most of us remember the end of the story, right? God disperses them. He tears down their tower, their idol to themselves, and he disperses them. He confuses the language. As a matter of fact, go down to verse 9. It says, Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now I wanted to go to that passage of scripture because I wanted to kind of set in the context of this idea of the name because what we see in this is a, a big contrast from what God's desire is. His desire is for his name to be glorified because that's only right, as we've already mentioned. It's only right that God's name is held above all other names, right? 
because he's God and he's worthy of that glory. So what we see in here is the exact contrast to that. It's man coming together and saying, hey, let's make a name for ourselves. Well, who's the center of attention there? Who's the man focus, right? It's, it's all man-centric right there. Let's make a name for ourselves so that we don't get dispersed, so that we can build ourselves up to the heavens. And then God disperses them all over the world without the same language. What we're looking for now and what we're going to start moving toward now is the exact reversal of everything that took place in Genesis chapter 11. As sin kept going on and kept infecting the lives of people, they they came to this point and God spread them out all over the world. And now the mission of God is to bring them back, not to focus on their name, but the opposite of that in the reversal to focus on his name. And we know that's the end. We know that's where we're going is that everyone's going to be brought back before the Lord and it's all going to be about his name. Whether they want to worship him or not, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess all of the earth that Jesus is Lord. So as we look at this and we see the motivation for missions, I want us to consider the greatness of his name. And we're going to look, as I said, we're going to look at a lot of different uh, passages of scripture. I don't want to take anything out of context because uh, we're going to be looking at an overwhelming amount of scripture. First, we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 5 and I'll try to give you a little bit of time but at the end I want to save some time for some questions and answers and talking about missions worship is the goal missions is the means to that goal and I want to so deeply set that in our hearts tonight that really there's nothing that changes the heart like the word of God. So the first thing we looked at yesterday was the fact that we were made for his glory. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I say... And, and, and Paul was speaking and he was kind of reflecting on Isaiah 43 when he did that. So Isaiah 43, 6 through 7 says, I will say to the north, give up. And I will say to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So that's just a reminder, just the same thing that we looked at yesterday, the fact that God chose a people for his glory, and he set us apart for that reason, to bring uh, him glory. The next thing that we have already looked at a little bit is that God is most passionate for his own glory. There is no one who cares about the glory of God more than God himself. And that kind of sets an example for us as we think about a motivation for, for doing missions and following the example of God who is holy is the fact that God is most passionate about his own glory. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. All right, you're going to play uh, Bible drill tonight. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not, not cut you off. Before we go any further, 
this is one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture. The, the idea, the picture of God with absolute perfect holiness and justice must pour out wrath on sin. If, he, if, if his justice is holy, he must pour out wrath on sin, right? So God is right there about to pour out wrath on sin, but then he's absolutely, perfectly holy in love and mercy. So you've got this constant picture of God holding himself back, holding his just wrath back by his perfect mercy. And God's doing it for his namesake. For my own namesake, I'm deferring my anger because he's going to bring about glory as he brings about salvation in our lives. Aren't you glad for that? Because we all deserve that outpouring of wrath, yet he's deferred it for his glory, for his praise. He's restrained. And then go on a little bit further. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is most passionate about his own glory. And yet he is saving rebels like us who profane his name, the very name that should be glorified, who profane his name by our rebellion. His ultimate action is to uphold and display the glory of his name. And we can see that all throughout Israel's history. So we're going to look at some of the things that, that display God's glory through a chosen people. God chose a people through whom he would display his glory. And he did this very early on. Psalm 106, verse 7 through 8 is one of those. <clears throat> Our fathers, when they were in Egypt did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might be known, that he might make known his mighty power. So God chose a people who were rebellious, who were stubborn. Does that sound like any of us? And he chose to display glory through them, through their constant rebellion, through their constant stubbornness, through the fact that they had just seen all of the wonders of God's plagues in Egypt. And just a little ways away from all of that, just a short walk away from that, through all of the things that took place at the Red Sea, they were already complaining and rebelling against God. But yet God chose to save them that he might display his might and his glory through their lives. I want you to be overwhelmed by the scripture tonight because I want you to think about your life in that perspective of what God is displaying through us, through you. Romans 9.17. I'm going to ask you to just read that. Just look at the screen and read that yourself. You can read it silently first. And this is by no means an exhaustive look at all the scriptures that talk about the name of God and his glory. But it is just a, a sprinkling throughout the scriptures to show us these things. So God raised up Pharaoh in order to show his glory, in order to make his name known. Now that's not 
a pleasant thing to think about sometimes. That's not an easy thing to think about. It's not an easy thing to think about the fact that God's glory will be displayed in his judgment too, is it? It's not pleasant to think about that, but that's the reality. His holiness, his justice will be displayed in his judgment, in his ultimate judgment, and it's displayed in his judgment all the time. And Paul sees that and he says in Romans, look, God raised up Pharaoh for that very point. He raised up his people. He was displaying his glory. He was displaying his power, but he also raised up Pharaoh to be the recipient of that judgment. And that was God's ultimate decision. And that's a tough thing to understand, but it's all about his glory. God spared Israel in the wilderness a little bit further on because of his namesake. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 14. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. You can think a lot through the prayers and through the conversations that Moses had with God, and he often would refer to God's name. When God was showing his holy justice and Moses would say, well, but what about, what about your name, O Lord? Because he's the intercessor. Moses was the original intercessor that God brought up for that position so that he would intercede for that people and say, well, what about your name, Lord? If you destroy this people, then what about your name? And there were other times that Moses was like, destroy these people! God's name was going to be magnified. We see that in Ezekiel 20, 14. We also see it in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, that God restored Israel from exile, of which he had already judged them because of their rebellion, but then he restored them back from exile for the glory of his name. Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23. Therefore say, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I hope this helps you see that God's mission is about his name. And as we join him on the mission, it's not about our fame. It's not about our numbers. It's not about the massive amount of converts. It's about the glory of God. And we know the end of the story is, it's all about his glory, right? So we know we have victory in the mission that he's given us. That's a great thing to know. That's a great promise to hold on to, that we can be motivated to go on missions because it's all about God's glory. And we know if we're doing things for his glory, we're going to succeed in that. Continue to look John chapter 12, verse 27 through 28. And we kind of begin to see now as we leave the Old Testament, as I said, it's not an exhaustive look at the number of passages in the Old Testament that talk about his name. But now we start to look 
into the New Testament as, as his name is displayed by the Messiah. John chapter 12, 27 through 28. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Jesus in his prayer to the Father, struggling, sweating blood, and praying over this purpose of God's glory. Of course I've come for this very purpose. I've come to this point for your glory, Father. He came for, and now, don't get me wrong, we often will say, that Jesus came for us and he did pursue us. God has already shown himself to be the missionary God who pursued Adam and Eve in the garden when they had sinned. But so often we begin to put so much of an emphasis on Jesus loves me this much that he came and he did this just for me that we begin to take the focus off of the glory of God and it's all about me at that point. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a fine line to, to walk here because I don't want you to hear something that I'm not saying. But I want you to hear that it's about God's glory ultimately. And Jesus declares that here. This is the very reason I've come to this hour that I'm about to face. That God, you will be glorified as you display your salvation and your redemption and those you have chosen. And those you've brought salvation to. And we, we exist for that purpose. We exist for his glory, right? We exist to reflect back his glory. So we exist not only to reflect back his glory, but his name, that it might be glorified. Jesus redeemed a people to bring about his glory. We see in Romans fifteen five through 9. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus, with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that the Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to conform, confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, I therefore will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So God calls a people unto himself out of the Gentiles now that they might glorify him. Next, we see God's glory as he ministers through this people by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see what the Holy Spirit does in John sixteen fourteen. He says, he will glorify me. Jesus is speaking of the Spirit. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we have the promise of God himself dwelling within us to bring glory to God. So we've got that promise. So our motivation for missions is for the glory of his name. And then we've got the promise of the God who created us, helping us to bring glory to his name. That's a win-win situation. Then we see the church. Several passages of scripture here. First of all, in, second, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
First Peter 4.11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the great verse in Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is speaking to the church in these situations. He's saying that our job as the church is to glorify the name of God. Our motivation, therefore, for missions, for everything we do, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, is to glorify God. All of these things for his glory. And then Romans 1, 22, 23 tells us that all are under judgment for dishonoring the glory of God. Romans 1 is a very harsh passage, but a true passage that reveals the rebellion of mankind. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Then Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That Romans 1.22 passage has always struck me as something that just seems ridiculous. How could you exchange the glory of God for something that's created? And yet we still have that struggle every day, don't we? When we decide to step off and do our own thing, we're exchanging the glory of God for our own glory. We're right back there in Genesis 11 with the people in the valley and the plain saying, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for us and build ourselves up. So we know that we exist as a people for the glory of God and we exist as individuals for the glory of God and we continue to rebel Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 12, Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. In flaming fire, inflicted, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. I want you to remember that passage for Wednesday. To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. For the glory of his name. My hope in reading all of these scriptures and not necessarily expounding on each one of them is that the word of God just overwhelms you now with the idea. I hope you see the sense that this Look here, this holy, perfect revelation of God is indeed a revelation of his glory. And he is moving through history, moving us to the point where Jesus will be on the throne and all glory will be unto the Father. And we will look on the redemption 
that we have been given by Christ and the redemption of those who have heard through the testimony of the redeemed. So our motivation for missions is not just about man because we can easily, easily get mad at other people and not want them to come to know Jesus. Jonah had a problem with that, didn't he? But we're motivated for the glory of God. Then we're just motivated for his name to be held up high. Before we go, though, I want to ask you, before we finish this section, I want to ask you, knowing the testimony of Scripture that you just heard, knowing that you have been set apart, I have been set apart, we've been set apart for His glory to reflect His glory, knowing all of those things, I have to ask, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because our belief will be revealed by our behavior. That's something that needs to stick with us. Your true belief will be revealed by your behavior. And that's really the only question that matters is do you believe that his name should be held high, higher than anything else, higher than anything else in your life? I know we believe this, but we behave this. And that's the difference. It's pretty common knowledge that when you think about the idea of an evangelist, really every single one of us is an evangelist about something. Every single person you meet on the street, even, a lost person is an evangelist. Maybe not an evangelist of the gospel, but they're an evangelist of something. You can meet anybody on the street, and if you can find some common interest, you could get them talking for hours about what they love or what they enjoy, right? They're being an evangelist for that thing, that item, that, that team that they love. Boy, you can get people on talking about their team, and you can get them talking about their team for hours, right? whatever sport it might be. And they're an evangelist for that team. They want to make it known. They want to let people know this is the greatest team that has ever existed. If you have any common sense, you'll be rooting for the team just like me. We're an evangelist for something in our life. So my question is, do you believe and do you talk about what makes you excited? If you've just become a grandparent, you talk about that, right? It makes you excited. If you just become a parent, it makes you excited, scared, but a little excited. People talk about what makes them excited. So what are you excited about tonight? What name gives you excitement? What name just falls off your lips in every conversation? What name is held high so that every single person that sees you knows that that's going to be the name that comes off of your lips in just a matter of minutes in your conversation. We see a lot of things when we look in that mirror as we walk out, don't we? Tonight I want you to look, and we're going to have a time of question and answer and do some other things, but I don't want you to forget as you walk out that door tonight, I want you to just look at the clothes that you're wearing. I remember back when I was in maybe middle school or something like that, guest jeans were popular. Do you remember guest jeans? Yeah, everybody had to have a pair. You weren't cool unless you had a pair. The name brand on your jeans meant, you know, something, I guess. What name are you bearing when you look in that reflection? What name 
is etched on your soul as you walk out that door and you begin to reflect the glory of God or do you reflect the glory of something else? That's the question for us tonight as we think about being motivated for missions. There should be no greater motivation than the glory of our Creator and our Savior. And when we begin to really dig into the gospel every single day, it reminds us how important that is. I mean, if you seriously, every morning when you get up, just meditate on the gospel and then walk out into the rest of the day, if you've truly thought about what Jesus did for you and how he redeemed you, boy, there's something exciting to tell somebody then, right? There's a freedom, there's a truth that has to be heard. God has to be glorified through it. So that's the challenge tonight for us to do as we walk out that door. Um, I want to leave us in prayer before we get to the other point in time just to kind of settle these things in our hearts and minds and then, and then I'll just kind of lead us into a casual little question and answer for a few minutes if that's all right. Okay. Our Father, we, we bring you glory tonight. We want to offer up all the glory that you deserve. We want to just place it before your throne because you alone are worthy. You alone deserve the praise and adoration of your saints, your redeemed of all the earth. As we looked in the Psalm 96 yesterday, the trees are going to clap their hands for you, Father. The mountains are going to sing. They're going to melt like wax in front of you. God, the psalmist brings such vivid pictures before us of the entirety of creation bringing praise to you. Father, I pray with these brothers and sisters in here tonight that we will be busy about declaring your glory. That as we walk out into the world around us and reflect your image, that we are reflecting your glory constantly, putting it back toward you, pointing to you with our whole lives, with our whole being. That our lives might be a testimony unto you in every aspect. That we may not be, as the prophet spoke against Israel, a cause for your name to be profaned. And Father, I know that there's been times in my life, and I'm sure in, in the lives of my brothers and sisters here, where my life has been a just a, a curse unto you for others to see. And we ask for your forgiveness in this, Lord. And we ask for your strengthening as we think about what drives us to the mission you've called us to. Remind us every day it's for your glory, God. It's because there is nothing more glorious than the sacrifice of your son and the resurrection of him so that we might have eternal life. That displays your glory from the time that time began that was your plan to display your glory, Father. And we've experienced that in our lives if we are your followers. So help us, Father, to be more excited about the glory of your name than anything else, than anything else in all creation.
for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.